This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of I Want to Matter. Your life is too short and too precious to waste. Written and narrated by New York Times bestseller Kathy Lee Gifford. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks. Dynamic voices for a diverse church. This is Pass the Mic. Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pass the Mic, Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church, powered by The Witness, a Black Christian Collective. I am your host, Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter at BurnsClan. Always, always, always follow at your own risk. And joining me, as always, is the man, the myth, the legend, the CEO of The Witness, Inc., the two-time New York Times bestseller, Mr. Blue Check Verified himself, Jamar Tisby. What's going on, brother? Hey, man, I know, I know, I know this is your favorite episode. You be thinking about this, pondering this at 3 a.m. when you have these brainstorms. And I got my gloves up, man. I know, I know you're going to come with some heat. So I'm ready. I'm man, ready. I, it's not a fight, man. <laughs> we just having fun. It's the most wonderful time of the year, bro. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Now, hold on. Before we get into this, it's Christmas, right? It's Christmas week. That's when this is dropping. So we got to give the people some tunes, man. What you listening to? I'm curious. Man, all the classics, all the classics. Okay. So I go to the uh, Soul Christmas playlist mm. on your preferred player. And almost every time in the top three is going to be Donny Hathaway this Christmas. But then it is. Hang on to me. Don't start singing. Don't start singing. We're going to lose <laughs> listeners. Don't start singing. <laughs> Don't start doing it. I just wanted the tune to be in their head so they know what I'm talking about. So, yeah. Everybody know what they Listen, if you're black, you know this Christmas. <laughs> you don't know this Christmas. I got questions. What you got? What you want? Listen. Okay. So, I'm going to give you all old school one and a new school one. All right. So, Jeez, old okay. school. All listen. Ready. Let's go. The Fred Hammond Christmas album. Oh, Listen, the Fred Hammond Chris yes. get on that joint yes. came out yes. in 2000, 2001. I keep telling y'all, it's the definitive gospel Christmas album. Mm. It's got original songs. The songwriting is nuts. It's amazing. That's an old school one. And then new school one, I got to shout out Kimberly Williams from Urban Doxology. She put out an EP called The Gift. Ah. And yo, it's got some... It's a little short, like five song little joint. It'll get you right. Okay. It'll okay. get you right in the morning. So I'm just, I'm throwing that. I'm trying to put people on. That's not even on my list. I'm just trying to put y'all on. I have so much consideration for y'all. I just want to put y'all on. That's a little amuse-bouche. <laughs> it's a, see, that's your favorite word. If you use that word one more time, 
you got to tax you for using that word. <laughs> Come on, man. But yeah, so check that out. Fred Hammond, that's for the old school vibes. And then Kimberly Williams, shout out to her for the gift. That's been getting me right lately. So I just, I got to shout out my people. Listen. Well, you did too. I'm going to do one more. Okay, Taylor go for Swift. it. Taylor Swift had a Christmas. Uh-uh, uh-uh. Prior, prior to her pop days. Yeah. No, bro. No. Tell me you did not just do that. I did. Yeah. I ain't ashamed. No, Listen, bro. We gonna be our full self you. on this. I gotta this. block you for 24 hours. We gonna be our full self on this. Don't hate. Uh-uh. I gotta don't block hate. you for 24 hours. Uh-uh. Don't hate. I gotta block you for 24 hours. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get it in. <laughs> All right, listen, it's the most wonderful time of the year. It is our cultural artifacts episode. No lie, it is my favorite episode of the year. You already know what time it is. Now, listen, if you are asking the question, what's the cultural artifacts episode? Well, this is what this means. When you say that, if you did say that, that simply means you're not from around here. You ain't from around here. And that's okay. You knew you knew to the Pastor Mike game. Welcome here. But you know. It's all good. You're good in our hood. It's fine. The Cultural Artifacts episode is something we started probably about four years ago, and we just wanted to encompass the awesome things that we consumed in a given year. So this could be books, albums, podcasts, sermons, people, events, movies, TV shows, anything, personal things that you've experienced. But here's the kicker. Here's what makes our list a little bit different. It doesn't have to come out in the given year. It just has to be consumed in the given year. So if you read a book from 1965 and you enjoyed it, you loved it, it's on the list. You can put it on the list. It's eligible. If you discovered someone from last year, something from last year, two years ago, it's all about what got you through a particular year. Now, there's a couple of different philosophies to what we put on the list. As you'll see, Jamar and I have different philosophies, all right? I'm probably not going to mention something that you've heard me mention before, all right? It's a little bit different. So you'll see. But listen, we're going to do 10 things this year. First year, we did five things. Next two years, we did seven. I think it was the next two years. And then last year, we did nine. And I'm like, man, we got to make it 10. 2020, we got to fight back. I told y'all we was going to fight back. Listen, man, I'm ready for this list, bro. I'm, I'm so ready. Excited. I'm always surprised by what you include. And, and, and neither of us know what the other person chose. So we are hearing this for the first time, just like you are. Yes, though we have no clue. Um, and if so that boy bring out repeats. Taylor Swift, I might have to kick him off. Look, look. You, uh-oh, you, uh-oh, you're not gonna oh, no. You're not going to give me a black test. Oh. We're not doing that in 2020. Okay. 21. Listen, I'll start, I'll start this episode, then you can start next episode, all right? Number one, it's in no particular order. No particular order, okay? So it's not ranked. We're just giving them as we feel. My first cultural artifact of 2020 is a heater. It's an album that actually came out this year. Might be number one. Bang, bang. Natalie Lauren, Handle With Care. Oh, wow. Listen. Okay. Let me tell y'all something. This album right here, this album smells like eucalyptus. This album tastes like Granny's Mac and Cheese fresh out the oven. Wow. This album feels like your favorite robe after a 20-minute shower. This album sounds like healing, self-discovery, wonder. This album is vibes. Vibes is overused, but this album right here is vibes. Now, for those of you who are not aware, Natalie Lauren used to go by another name, and that's how she was popular with a lot of people. That name was Susie Rock. Now, Susie Rock was popular in the Christian hip-hop scene. 
She was on Show Baraka's albums, Lecrae's albums. And then she kind of branched out, went mainstream and did some songwriting for some of the biggest hip hop artists in the world. Nominated for awards, all that good stuff. And she reinvented herself as Natalie Lauren in 2014 when she released an, an exclusive SoundCloud album called Cliff Notes. Exclusive just to SoundCloud. It's still in heavy rotation. All it was was some demos of some songs she had written for other people, but had never seen the light of day. So she just performed them herself in a rough cut way. Only on SoundCloud, you can still find it. And it was fire. It just captivated my attention. Her songwriting is so incredible. But you know, there's something about, there's something about the process, Jamar. There's something about when people keep working on their craft and figure it out. She wasn't big then. She didn't have all this attention then. But she kept working on her craft. And this is the culmination of the tweaking of the process. And it is beautiful. The sonic elements are phenomenal because of Swoop's production. Swoop is a, another rapper producer that you guys may have heard of. The songwriting is phenomenal. Um, the, the ethos is outstanding. The sequencing, A Lost Art, is extremely good. There are probably about five or six songs that you're going to argue with yourself about whether or not they're the best song on the album. And I've been thinking about this, Jamar. Gifted people rarely achieve their potential, right? Gifted people rarely achieve their potential, but the difference between good and great is often belittle tweaks. And Natalie Lauren has been tweaking and she tweaked just enough and handled with care. Oh my goodness. It's, it's a vibe. It's a vibe. I start out with what might be number one. This might be number one, y'all. This is how I started. Bang, bang. That's incredible. I just just downloaded the album as you were talking about. I no, hold up. You should it. block me because I'm a bad friend for not recommending this. Yeah, to you. really, you are. Like, I mean, what, what, all this heat, about, all this listen, fire, you contain it. You didn't even tell me. God morning, uh, meditate, get it right. This is the number one Tyler singing off key in the car driving album. <laughs> Like I'm telling y'all, if you if someone followed me around while I was playing this album driving and took pictures, you can make a lot of money off that because it's memes. Uh, it's memes on memes. I'm just eyes, eyes, eyes half good. closed. Just lose yourself in it. Listen, okay, I could I gotta stop talking about it. Natalie Lauren, handle with care. That's my number. One. That's my number one. That's my first one. Well, it fits with my first one because Natalie Lauren is a black woman and. My number one, first one, is black women, y'all. Okay. Black women. Right? Go ahead, shout them out. As a group, as a people, as wisdom bearers in our culture, black women have done so much for us, obviously through the years, but we can just look at 2020. So the Witness team, the black women on our team. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So much energy, so much creativity, so much wisdom. Ali Henny, Zena Jones, Shannon Polk, Shalise, you name it. We even got some new heat coming for you with some new staff, new. Yeah. New so within our own organization, they've been instrumental. But you can look at the political realm. Kamala Harris as the first woman and the first woman of color, biracial black woman as vice president elect as we speak, soon to be vice president, Stacey Abrams holding it down in Georgia, 
pulling a grassroots movement of black voters and organizing uh, Latasha Brown, who founded Black Voters Matter. All of these ladies, you can bring it down just to our network of friends, the ladies at Truth's Table. Come on, Lisa come on. Fields making big moves. We interviewed Shanique. Shout out to Lisa, man. Ooh, they killing it at Jew 3. My, my, Oof. my. Um, Shaniqua Walker Barnes, who we recently interviewed. It's it's amazing. Just go back and listen to the black women who have been on past the mic. Um, you can go more historical right behind me. You got Ella Baker and Fannie Lou Hamer. Come on, come on. Activists, organizers. You got uh, Black Lives Matter was again in the headlines all this year, founded by black women. And then, of course, I've got to shout out. My dearly departed mother died December 2nd, 2020. Mm -hmm. I am not me without her. Without me, without her, there's no me. And so black women straight up and down the board, got to give it to the ladies. Thank you so much for all you are and all you do. You do too much. You, you, you do more than you ought to. But we thank you for what you do. Yeah, man. Uh, and I think it's just a perfect opportunity. We're not going to stay here, but I just wanted to, you know, acknowledge the loss of your mother, man, and how you've you've navigated that so well um, with your family and behind the scenes, you've you've been walking through that for a while. And a lot of people did not know, and a lot of people were not aware, and we haven't talked about it on the podcast. But um, just want to hold space for that, man, and uh, just let you know we love you. Uh, we've had these conversations extensively, <laughs> you know, uh, offline. But man, just want to let you know we love you, and um, we're proud of how you're navigating this very difficult reality. Amen. Amen. I received that. Appreciate you. Man, that's good. Uh, let's keep that theme going. Can we do that? Let's go. Okay. I am going to, I'm going to share my number two or my second one. I keep saying number two. I don't want people to think this is a rank list. Right. But it is a made for TV movie. It is the Clark Sisters movie. Oh. On okay. Lifetime. Okay. Came out in April of this year. I know it's been a long year. Most of us do not even remember that it came out. Now, first of all, if you're asking the question, okay, who are the Clark sisters? Okay, again, you're not from around here. Not from around here. It's okay. It's okay. You're good in, you're good in every hood. You're good in my hood. But they are the best-selling gospel group in the music world, um, sampled by some of your, your greats when it comes to uh, Jay-Z, uh, man, hip-hop, R&B, their style is copied by R&B <laughs> artists. They are foundational gospel music artists, foundational music voices, phenomenal excellence, precision, and some of the most classic songs in gospel music history. Okay, so the director is Christine Swanson, and there are a lot of different ways this could have gone wrong. A lot of different ways. You think about Lifetime doing a gospel music tribute. You think about uh, the fact that there are so many different layers to this story. You think about the fact that there are, there's tension even amongst the sisters themselves, even now. There's a lot of different ways this could have gone wrong. But I think it went so well for three main reasons, three and a half, I'll say. The half is the Twitter conversation live was outstanding. Peerless. I hate it. If you missed it, I'm so sorry you missed it. It was phenomenal. Um, number two, I would say, or, or I guess this is one and a half now, they clearly understood the intricacies of the genre itself. And one of the things that Twitter produced and that conversation is that gospel music is not a monolith. It is intricate. 
There are different levels, whether you're talking Kojic or AME or Baptist or non-denominational or holiness. There are different styles within the music. And they clearly understood and buttressed the intricacies of the genre. Number two, they really did justice to how big the Clark sisters were in that moment. They were massive. And people do not understand that. They performed at the Grammys, prime time, like in the 80s, right? This is, we're talking like huge artists. And then I think the last thing I really appreciated was that they stealthily critiqued the Black church for misogynoir, for um, outright patriarchy, for condescension, and also the Kojic denomination for separating themselves from the Clark sisters once they got big and once they started to perform in mainstream venues. Um, I have to shout out as well, Anjanu Ellis, who played the, the, the leading role of Maddie Moss Clark was outstanding, phenomenal, brought so much life and character to that role and some of the best memes and gifts you'll have all year. So I have to shout out the Clark sisters movie there's no way it was, I, I had some brutal cuts, brutal cuts. There was no way this movie was getting cut. It was phenomenal. I loved it. Huh. Very good. Very good. Got another one for the list. Um, my, the next one is going to be fairly obvious, but it must be stated. In a year of a pandemic, an invisible virus being passed around, we got to shout out our medical professionals and our scientists. Yes. Everybody on the front lines of healthcare, anyone in science involved in researching and uh, trying to find a way to, to fight this deadly virus. So we have so many everyday heroes who got up each morning, went to work amidst people who were at risk of getting the virus or who had the virus, put themselves yeah. at risk mm. often without the PPE and the equipment that they needed. Remember at the beginning of this thing, we didn't have enough ventilators. Uh, we had photos of medical professionals in garbage bags because that's all they had for protection. It was brutal. And then on top of it all, they carry that home with them. And so if they've got family, yes, friends, the trauma. Roommates, they've got to quarantine from them. Sometimes they've got to separate themselves from that sometimes. And then everything they've seen seeing people in their last moments of life bereft of any family and friends because they can't be close because of the virus. And then on top of that, you've got scientists whose expertise was undermined at every turn by political leaders who has- Man, come life, on, talk about it, man. Spent their lives studying this stuff, stuff, epidemiologists, virologists, all of these folks who know what they're talking about to have some talking head on a news network say it's not, it's like the flu. It's not that dangerous. We don't need masks. And then working round the clock to come up with a, a, a vaccine, which we got in record time and is even now initial doses starting to be dispensed. And then we always know, of course, these folks have family, friends, loved ones. You've watched them do their jobs in the midst of the hardest circumstances, loved them, supported them throughout it all. So shout out to medical professionals and scientists who help are helping us get through a, 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 a generational um, 
epochal, devastating event of the COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah, man. No, I, I think there's there's no way around that. You have to shout out the medical professionals and those who are continuing to put themselves in harm's way. Okay, let's continue. More Black women. Uh, <laughs> it's not even intentional. It's just everything I consumed this year. It's just, it, you got to shout them out. June of 2019, a documentary came out about someone who is well-known, perhaps the greatest writer of of the country's history. And I have to shout out Toni Morrison and the documentary, The Pieces I Am. This documentary slaps, y'all. It's so good. I had no idea about how influential Toni Morrison was behind the scenes. You know all about the big prominent works of of art you know about beloved song of solomon all these you know the bluest eye all these all these phenomenal works that she has written but you didn't know that she was behind the scenes pushing other people to make phenomenal works helping angela davis and muhammad ali and i'll tell you the my world is a black world section which talks about eliminating the white gaze mm-hmm. is worth the entirety of the documentary itself. It's, it's worth the whole thing. Just go ahead and rent the documentary for that, just for that portion. Because when we talk about how to center Black people, we talk about how to center Black thought and Black perspectives. She talks about getting that little white man, the invisible white man off your shoulder, who's going to tell you what you should and shouldn't do. It is phenomenal. It's it's been so influential in what we do at the witness. And it made me hate that I did not fully appreciate Toni Morrison while she was still alive. It's gotta be this documentary. I'm so glad I watched it. And now in almost in, in almost every one of our staff meetings at the witness, I'm talking about it. Remember Toni Morrison, remember the pieces I am, remember this, remember this section, remember when she said this. And I'm I'm referencing it because it gives us language to unlearn things. And frankly, it's language that the church should have given us, but I'll leave that for another podcast for another day. But yeah, The Peace I Am, that documentary for sure. Absolutely. If you want to know what our philosophy is at the witness about centering Black people, Toni Morrison nailed it decades ago. Uh, Definitely appreciate that one. This one, Tyler, I didn't know how to phrase it, or rather, I didn't know which label to use. And... I don't know. You might be mad at me, but I I, I got to name it because it's a cultural artifact. Hmm. Critical race theory slash white Christian nationalism. Hmm. I didn't know how to label it. I didn't okay. know which one to to say, but but I mean, I feel I feel where you're coming from, though. I I can yeah. see that. I feel where yeah. you're coming from. It's really two sides of the same coin, right? So so what happened was critical race theory, which is a framework really derived out of legal studies that that essentially says, let's analyze critically our legal system to see the ways in which it creates and perpetuates racial inequality, even in subtle ways, even if it doesn't use racial language. And it's been a very helpful, useful tool. Somehow, some type of way, the wrong fundamentalist white Christians got a hold of this term and this framework and then started to use it as a label, as a libel for basically anyone doing racial justice. Work. That boy said a label and a libel. Ooh, that's the, that's that. That's that. That's that Clay Thompson in game six right there. A label and a libel. Ooh. 
that's how they use it. It, 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 it is a, it's, it's a bludgeon and it's designed to put you in a box that says heterodox, uh, uh, unorthodox, heretical, and therefore to the left, to the left, right? And, and, and the flip side of critical race theory is that oftentimes the ones who are using it negatively are Christian nationalists. And I, I, I've got another one where, where I'll go yeah. into Christian nationalism more deeply. But it is a it is more than uh, or besides a theological allegiance, it's more of a political and a cultural allegiance to a particular conception of who's an American and who's a Christian, namely white Anglo-Saxon Protestants, your old your your, your old school wasps. Uh, but but it, it is a powerful term because it actually I think it's more accurate than white evangelical. Remember in 2016, we're all talking about white evangelicals and the 81% right, who voted for right. Trump. It is, it's actually, I think, more accurate to talk about Christian nationalists because it transcends race and ethnicity. You know, all skin folk ain't kin folk. So what do you do with the people who call themselves Christians but subscribe to these terrible ideas about race? They're Christian nationalists. What do you do? It, it, it transcends denominations because what do you what do you do with with Catholics and mainline Protestants as well as white evangelicals who are all ascribing to similar ideas? It's it's Christian nationalism. It transcends age and gender and all of those things. So. I say all that. The reason why I name it as a cultural artifact is not just because it was a big topic of discussion, but because it lets you know where people stand. Wow. Yeah, man. And and there's so many things we could talk about with that. I think we're going to get into that. We're going to save that for some 2021. We've got some 2021 heat for that. We got <laughs> well, some we got some bars for that in 2021. For I'll sure. just say this. There is a sifting happening right now in the church. Part of it is along this line of critical race theory, Christian nationalism. And I'm grateful because I want to know where people stand. And and what we know and what we always say is that justice takes sides. Come you can't on. stand in the middle on this. And people are showing which side they're on when it comes to racial justice. Yeah, that's really helpful. Jamar, let's take a break here. Let's pay some bills, man. And let's be back. We'll be back in just a second with our last four in this section. This is just part one. We got a whole nother part next episode with more heat. But stay tuned right here on Pass the Mic. This is our Cultural Artifacts episode. And we're back on our part one of our cultural artifacts episode. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Y'all already know what it is. Jamar has given three so far. I've given three so far. We'll recap at the end. So stay tuned if you missed anything. But hey, my number four, let's go back to the music. Let's go back to the sound. <laughs> right on cue. That was great. All right. My number, <laughs> my number four, let's go back to the music. Let's go back to the sound, bro. I feel like gospel music had a sneaky good year hmm. and it wasn't a lot of the top, top artists did not release. It's a pandemic. It's a panoramic, as some people say. It's a pico de gallo. But here's the thing. I feel like what was released was really quality. And I have to shout out gospel music this year because they produced one of the best choir albums in a long time. And that is Choir Master by Ricky Diller. Man. Choir Master by Ricky Diller. 
is that old school foot stomping, head shaking, neck swinging, hand clapping, body moving, gospel choir music. It's peak of powers. And let me tell you how, how dope this is, because it's not just on the audio vibes, but it's also professionally filmed. So you can go on YouTube and actually watch the whole thing. Professionally filmed. It was done before the pandemic, before the panoramic. And it is outstanding. Let there be peace on earth. Outstanding. Hmm. Um, more abundantly medley. Outst- I'm, I'm telling you. Now, here's the thing. This is true blue. Some, some, of, y'all, some of y'all knew here. So this isn't your, like, this is a CCM. You got to recalibrate your ears. <laughs> I'm serious. You got to recalibrate your ears. And a lot of people, they look at gospel choir music and they don't like it. And they presume something is wrong with the choir. Something might be wrong with your ears. Watch it. Your okay. ears might have been, might have been conditioned to hear white Eurocentric approaches so much so this is this is what they get us with, right? If you repeat things again and again, that's mm. wasting words. How many times have I heard that? Come on. That's wasting words. If you if you if you sing like this, a squall, it's coarse. Mm. It's coarse, right? That's culture. No, that's a lesser culture. Break it down. Okay. Then no, nah, uh-uh. All of it, the sweat, the the harmony, the precision. It's outstanding. Patrick Riddick talks about this, um, talks about some of the choir master techniques in the Voices of Fire episode when he was interviewed by um, our very own Ali Henney on the PTM feed. So you can go back and listen to that. Talks about some of the gospel choir kind of approaches and philosophy. But this album did it for me, yo. It did it. For, it hit me right at the right point when I needed to be reminded that there is nothing more healing than a gospel choir. Mm. Nothing. That's beautiful. See, you've been sitting on this the whole time. You ain't never mentioned I, I, listen, it. Listen, man, listen. You never mentioned it to me. Come on. I, there's a lot of, and there's That's there's some friends. other gospel albums I could put here, but this is the one I wanted to put here. Be friends. That's all it I just, it, <laughs> it reset, it recalibrated my ears. It helped me. It was getting me free, y'all. Amen. And so I hope it gets you free too. Choir Master by Ricky Dillon. All right. This next one I've got is, is poignant, um, obvious, probably on a lot of people's radar. Uh, Chadwick Boseman. Chadwick Boseman. All right, man. Uh, The brother died of cancer this year. What was so dramatic about it is he kept it close to the vest. He really only told a very close circle of family and friends that he had this ailment, um, that he was so near to death. Uh, He only let in a close circle of friends and family to see his suffering. He would. oftentimes be in agonizing pain, even on movie sets, uh, and yet and still did his thing. And one of the things that I appreciate about him was he chose to chart the path of his professional career in service of the culture. So if you look at his roles, just to name a few, Thurgood Marshall, Jackie Robinson, He's in the newly released Ma Rainey film, King T'Challa, Black Panther. James Brown. James Brown. And I think that's what really did it is 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 all of it collectively, of course. But 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 
most publicly and most popularly his role as Black Panther. That's a, that's think about that. That is a big role to fill, a big mantle to be the king of Wakanda, which just culturally represents so many aspirations of African descended people, advanced technologically, wealthy, independent. And he had to embody that as the king and as the ruler. And I just think he did it so well because he did it. He embodied that not only in his strength, but also in his weakness. He embodied that in the way he he lifted up, uh, relied on and respected black women. He embodied that in his heroism, all of that. And so to lose him, you know, there are some deaths for me, it was Aaliyah uh, uh, last year, uh, Juice World. I loved his music. And then this year, Chadwick Boseman. And really, we could put a, sort of a big umbrella category and say, you know, black celebrity deaths from Kobe Bryant and, and all of these folks that we've lost in 2020. But, but Chadwick was, I mean, that hit, that hit really hard. Yeah, man. Um, I'm going to talk about Chadwick next episode. So that's a little teaser. Very good. But I also wrote a article for the Religion News Service um, in honor of Chadwick. We did an episode of Once Upon a Time in Wakanda on the PTM feed in honor of Chadwick. Long live the king. Long live the king, man. There is so much that could be said. And all of it will fall short of just how great he was. Now, Juice World, You a fan of Juice World? Big time, man. Big time. I mean... How to Fight Racism, a bunch of my writings, all done with him playing in the background. Wow, that's exclusive. That's a drop, bro. Wow. Okay. Man, we need to talk about that because I have some I have some thoughts on that. That's, a, that's really dope. Uh, we'll talk about that offline. Okay. Uh, my last one for this part here. So my fifth one in the grand scheme of things, this was a brutal process getting down to this one because I there was three books. Well, there's four books I was trying to condense. And there's some stuff I mentioned on this next episode. I get a little nerdy on next episode. You got to wait for that. But the next episode, I was like, man, I can't cut this. And then I was like, ah, I got got four books that I really want to mention. And I may give some love to them at the end, kind of on the tail end with the honorable mention section. But the book I ended up choosing is Off the Radar. came out in 2011, I think. And it's called Black Fire by Estrelda Alexander. Black Fire is all about the Afro-Pentecostal uh, denominations and faith tradition in the American context. And Estrella Alexander is a scholar, a gift. Um, she is. She got her PhD from the Catholic University of America. She's a visiting professor in the School of Divinity at Regent University. She's also the executive director of the William Seymour Educational Foundation. Mm. And if I'm not mistaken, I think she has her own publishing house as well trying to platform and give space to Black Pentecostal writers and scholars. And this is really talking about a hundred years of the growth of Afro-Pentecostalism in the context of, you know, American racism and white evangelicalism and all kinds of different things. Um, She talks about what Pentecostalism kind of gained and was recovered from African spirituality, the differences between the oneness and Trinitarian denominations, mm. um, Black Pentecostals uh, in white majority spaces and white evangelical spaces, and some of the challenges that are being faced 
by a new generation of Black Pentecostals. Now, again, it was written in 2011, but she has, she has other writings that she's written that really talk about some of the newer iterations of things and how they come about. But I had to, number one, shout out Dr. Estrada Alexander, but then number two, I had to put this book in because I'm going to be honest with y'all. A couple of years ago, I want to say it was on the podcast, I ran away from the term Pentecostal. I I used Mm. to do that all the time. Mm. I was conditioned to believe by my education that Pentecostal was the more radical, more radical, undignified expression of continuationist perspective. And so, you know, in the midst of all that, I was convicted this year because, and really the past two to three years, because I would not have survived 2020 without rediscovering and reclaiming my Pentecostal roots. Okay. I would not have survived. It was a recovery and a realization that all that I had been, had been deposited in me in the Pentecostal part of my story still remained and still remained real and relevant to my understanding of God, my understanding of myself, and my understanding of the faith journey. So when you talk about the communal nature of worship, the fact that communal worship in the Pentecostal context is dependent not just on me getting what I need, but me coming in contact with what my neighbor needs Hmm. and how my neighbor is experiencing God matters just as much as how I am experiencing God. And so we come together and we worship, but our worship is not for ourselves and it's not for a show. It is for the body. It is for the the group moving together, which is why there is this push-pull. You don't know like I know what the Lord has done for me. Yet if you shout, I'll shout with you because I shout in testimony that what God has done for you is worth shouting about. Mm. We, we talk about tongues and the nature of confusion within the empire. How the empire, isn't it something that the language that is used, the holy language that is used, cannot be detected and discerned by those who are not a part of the group? And the empire would like nothing more than to control the language of a marginalized people. But when they speak in tongues and the spirit gives the interpretation, God speaks and God speaking in that moment denies the power of empire to know everything that's being said, right? Because it's, it's for the body. God is speaking in a unique way to us. It's things like that, man, my personal time with God, the physicality with how I preach, Mm. the physicality with how I live. Mm. It's, it's, it's been a rebirth. It's, (laughs) it's, it's being born again, again. Mm. Uh, It's been phenomenal, man. And, and so there's so many, there's so many books and, and scholars and people who have influenced this, but Black Fire was, it was a game changer for me. It made me unashamed. All the things that all the things that white evangelicals said about us, they were lies. They were lies. <laughs> they were all lies. So yeah. <laughs> Didn't even mean to go all in that, but you set me up. And I mean, you know, here we are. Yeah, you're gonna liberate some people with that. Um, 
my last one is again fairly obvious but absolutely must be mentioned the 2020 racial justice uprisings yeah this was a, a breathtaking year and 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 you can take that however you want that would hmm. uh man that boy in his new york times bag right now man <laughs> Ooh. if you look at what sparked it i mean if 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 you if if you if you've been to the neighborhood a, a, a little while if you've been in the neighborhood a little while you've heard me say this this is the civil rights movement of our day and hmm. the reason why i think this it's because of the catalyzing events, right? If you look back at 1955 and the lynching of Emmett Till, many people say that was one of the events that helped to spark the civil rights movement. Matter of fact, Rosa Parks, so, so that happened in the summer of 55. In December of 55, Rosa Parks takes her stand by sitting and refusing to move. And she said she was thinking of Emmett Till in that moment. And, and, and in a similar way, we've had catalyzing events in 2020. Of course, uh, the murder or the lynching of Ahmaud Arbery being the wrong skin color in the wrong neighborhood and white vigilantes literally chasing him down. You've, of course, got the murder of Breonna Taylor in her own home. No knock warrant. One of the things that really gets me is apparently the, the, the officers, officers were plain clothed. Yes. So even looking yes. at them. Yes, sir. couldn't necessarily tell. They were police officers and it's the dead of the night. And then and then, of course, we get this horrific video of the murder of George Floyd and those haunting words still echoing in my ears. I can't breathe. And so you have this breathtaking series of events, and that's just to name a few. And then you have the protests and the uprisings. Please, people, never forget the tip of the spear, the point here. There's always a particular cause of these uprisings. Here, it was anti-Black police brutality. Yes. Keep your eye on the ball. We must still change that. But it, it, it encapsulated all of these demands that we have for justice, again, under the banner of Black Lives Matter. And then the scope of the uprisings, I'll be brief here, but the scope of the uprisings on June 6th, which was one of the peaks this summer, there were uprisings in as many as 550 different cities on the same day. Yes. And then polls estimate that just this by the time of June, and so that doesn't include the latter half of 2020, between 15 million and 26 million people had participated in a protest of some sort, which would dwarf the numbers of the civil rights movement of the 50s and 60s. So I'm sitting here like, what other evidence do we need to say this is the modern day civil rights movement? And then not only that, there's two more things I'll mention quickly. Number one, the, the, the progress has that, that has been made. Are we there yet? No, please don't ever expect for us to arrive. Brothers and sisters, we're always going to be on a journey. But there have been. If you don't believe me, look at the state flag of Mississippi. For 126 years, a racist symbol stood with the Confederate battle emblem in the canton of the flag. It was the last state in the Union to have it. And it stood for over a century and a quarter. And it finally came down in 2020. We can point to many different evidences. I'll say one more. Uh, a movement is measured not just by its progress, but by its opposition. We mentioned earlier That's Christian good. nationalism. We've also got to mention uh, white supremacist extremism. The Department, the Department of Homeland Security annually puts out a, a, a report called the, the Domestic Threat Assessment. And in 2020, do you know 
what is the greatest domestic terror threat in the United States? It's not Islamic mm -hmm. extremism. Come on. They say. It's you know what it is. Immigration at the border. It is white supremacist extremism. It's the Proud Boys. It's yep. these folks who wanted to kidnap the governor of Michigan. Mm -hmm. These are the domestic terror threats. And they have amplified their actions in direct proportion to our demands for racial justice. So I have to mention the two top 2020 racial justice uprising. Man, that's that's obvious. I knew that was going to be on the list. <laughs> I knew, man, because that's so important, man. I, you know, when you when you said in the videos and you started actually saying this long before, like this is the modern day civil rights movement. It's obvious, but it's also not. And I think you naming these things, you naming what's plainly before us is so important. And I'm glad you continue to name it. I'm glad. Get yeah, let's let, let's recap, man. This is this is part one. This is part one. But mine, uh, my five items very quickly. The album Handle with Care by Natalie Lauren, the Clark Sisters movie on Lifetime, the documentary The Pieces I Am on Toni Morrison, the gospel album Choir Master by Ricky Dillard, and the book Black Fire by Dr. Estrelda Alexander. And your five, Jamar, so far. Black women, medical professionals and scientists, critical race theory slash Christian nationalism, Chadwick Boseman, and the 2020 uprisings. And that's just part one, y'all. You got to join us next week. Got you got to join us next week for part two. We got five more. How am I going to cut this down? I got 12 more things. How am I going to cut it down to five? I don't know. I don't know. But you will find out on the next episode of Pass, Pass the, the Mic. This episode was brought to you in part by the audio adventure series, Discovery Mountain. Help your kids fall in love with the Bible. Each true-to-life adventure story will draw them closer to Jesus. Visit discoverymountain.com CT.